Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Joachim Eriksson. I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. And I, as of late, can never remember what it is that I say in the beginning of the episodes. But hey, I, I, here we are, you know. I, I started it. I was sitting here in silence for a long time and I didn't know how to start it. Especially because I don't know what the words are that I say in the beginning, but... I don't think it matters. The show must go on. I don't feel very good, but <clears throat> the pod must go on, huh? I feel a little bit overworked. Like I almost feel like I'm approaching a sort of burnout, which is actually very interesting because it's nude for me. I've never really pushed myself. And so it's um it's interesting in so many different ways like i took this job as a salaried restaurant manager sort of as an experiment because i wanted to see because it's just something i've never really done like i've had an office job where i have a salary that's like my monthly salary but it's just a little bit this just had a different tone to it of seriousness because i'm getting a little bit older and i've been doing this thing now for like i've been doing hospitality I don't know, man. There's so many angles. There's so many things that could be said about it. It's, I, I do find it so fascinating how you can go do a job. Like the world is so confusing now that you can go do a job and then you do that job for like two years. And then afterwards, based on what you want to do afterwards, you can describe those two years in probably 10 different ways on your LinkedIn profile. So like, I can say that everything I did in China had to do with what I'm doing now because the whole time I was like selling alcohol. But it's also like if I wasn't selling alcohol right now, it's like I'd be like, yeah, what I did in China was supply chain management or like it was marketing. Like I could call it a million fucking different things. Anyway, that's not even what I was going to say. Everything is so fucking made up and stupid now. And I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed with what capitalism has set up for us here, but that's neither here nor there. The point is like, I took this job and it was a little bit of an experiment. And I think the thing that was new about it is my level of commitment. Like I was going to commit to a job a little bit more than I've ever committed to anything because yeah, I think that's just fair to say. Like I watched people do this job and I watched the hours and effort that they put in And I looked at myself and I could clearly see that I have never put that much time or effort into anything. And so it just felt like more than I wanted. But then when I considered it, I was like, well, I don't know what that would feel like. So let's, maybe we should, like, I don't want to die without ever having, like, really committed myself to some large economic animal, large economic organism. Like, I really, you know, I mean, whatever you do, you're just a widget on the fucking economy, right? But, like, at least I want to do something fully before I die. So I really committed to this, and it's it's interesting, man. I mean, it's made me think of so many different things. I, how, like, there's this annoying thing people say about um, the brain and how we only use, like, 8% of our brain. And it's like such a stupid thing to say, and it's not true at all. And it's like, it's almost to the point of like, do people even say that? It's like this thing that people used to say, but does anyone even say that anymore? And the thing is that my uncle said that to me. He was like, yeah, did you know that 
we only use 10% of our brains. And I'm just like, man, do people still say that? It's like in the last episode when I described listening to someone describing what a charcuterie board is. It's like, do people still describe what charcuterie boards is? Haven't, haven't we described it now to every single person? But, um, the, it, there is something interesting that, there, though, because it makes the thing about we only use 10% of our brains, it makes intuitive sense to some, to people or something. But I think it overlaps so fully with people who would be susceptible to joining a cult. Cause like it speaks to, Saying and believing and being ready to believe that we only use 10% of our brains speaks to a feeling in your heart that you're wasting your potential or that you could be doing way more interesting, weird shit. And I mean, it's obviously true that we could and should be doing more interesting, weird shit. Like, that's not what anyone's arguing with. But it's like, even doing a simple task like ordering a coffee takes activity in basically your entire brain. Like the idea, oh, it's so infuriating with stupid ideas that people don't Google. Like it speaks to something about psychedelic use and Scientology and all this different stuff because it's like you can experience a lot of weird shit. Like if you're one of these people that's like, yeah, we only use 10% of our brains, then if you go to a Scientology meeting and you're asked to sit on a chair and someone sits across from you just facing you and they just stare into your eyes and you're just supposed to stare into their eyes and neither one of you is supposed to blink and you experience something completely new that you've never experienced because the human brain and how we're social animals and all these different things just like make you feel super weird all of a sudden or if you do some fucking acid and suddenly you're like oh yeah i used another 10 percent of my brain today that i've never used but it's like that's the simplification that's anyway what i was going to say about it is that it's not true that we only use 10% or 8% of our brains, but I do think that it's fair to say that, like, if you're a fucking software engineer and you wake up in the morning and have a coffee and and you take the subway to work and you sit there and you sit on the computer and then you go home and maybe you hit the gym for 15 minutes and then you go home and you make food and then you're tired so you watch TV and then you go to bed, I think it's fair to say that you used up less than 10% of the, like, physical muscle energy you have like we use so little of our muscle energy in a day and even when we only use a little bit we still get tired in the evening like at the end of the day we still get tired right so i don't know what am i saying about this there's something about like how much more energy can we unlock if we just keep going and like what can help us unlock more energy because like i remember being like 14 and just going to school or really the most, the clearest thing, and I I have brought this up before on the podcast, but like, I remember being 14, coming home from school, collapsing on the couch, and being so tired that I couldn't move. Like, I literally couldn't move. And it's so interesting, because it cannot be true that that, like, that's not true. It has to have been possible for me to move. It's just that I wasn't, I lacked some sort of like, properly arranged psychology, where my psychology had nothing, there was nothing I cared about. Like, there, I didn't give a shit about anything, and I hated everything, and I was completely depressed. Like, I was probably deeply, deeply depressed for, like, 10 years throughout my teens, because all my chemicals were way out of whack, and, and really the big thing, and I've said this many times on the pod, is, like, the thing of waking up at 7 a.m. just didn't work for me, and then combined with lots of screen time in the evening, pushing back my fall asleep time, so I fell asleep, and I would sleep, like four hours when really I needed nine. 
and I would sleep four hours every day. And it was really just like a Russian sleep experiment, my teens. And it just produced this like deeply, deeply negative, avoidant, maladaptive, dark person that thought that there was like poetry in the, I don't know, dude, really, really misguided. Just, it set me off. I really set me off on the wrong path. I really got started off the wrong foot there with life. But the point is that like everything can sort of be measured in calories and, and like somehow I just didn't have any energy and it's just because of some psychological installation process, like some installation failed, you know? My brain just wasn't installed yet or something. And then I lived my whole life and I just sort of chilled out. And I just had this really hedonistic lifestyle and approach to life where I didn't care about anything too much. And I was very much just about the enjoyment of the day, which led me to just move around to different countries and just like take shitty jobs that would pay, just take advantage of like arbitrage opportunities and in third world countries where like rent is really cheap and they'll pay a white person a lot for an hour of labor. And when you have absolutely no structure, that sounds like a good deal, but really you're like not on any track and you never work hard. And so then, then I was offered this job and, and it's like, it's made me think of like the different, there are many reasons for why you can really, really commit to something and open up new chakras of fucking energy, of just fucking new chakras of capitalism in your, in your muscles. And it's like, one very straightforward bucket is like parenthood. Like once you become a parent, it seems I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but it, it seems like everyone agrees that like once you become a parent, you just unlock new levels of how tired you are. And even though you're tired, you just keep moving because you have to. And it's just like a state of affairs that's not present in, you know, the 25 year old millennial bachelor who never has to do anything, who will literally say, I don't have the energy to do that to anything. You cancel plans to go out and hang out with your friends, but really maybe you're like not digesting gluten properly. I don't know. Give me gluten or give me death. But um, the another bucket though, it's like, it's just commitment, I guess. It's just like you really, I don't even know what to call it. It's like entrepreneurship really is what it is. Now, like I've, I've been in the room with the ghost of entrepreneurship you know like i've had paranormal experiences where it was like it was an entrepreneur you know and i've been there and i've seen it with my own eyes and i've been part of probably like five six startups but i've never i was gonna say i've never been the guy who had the idea which is not completely true but that stuff is so complicated because like ideas are the most overrated thing and execution is the most underrated thing. Like you have an idea and you execute on it. I mean, the point of what I'm saying though, I'm really meandering here, but the point of what I'm saying is like, there's a level of energy that you can unlock. There's a level of stamina that you can get to if you really take ownership of a process and like a job and a company and a thing goods and services sold. I don't know, like, I don't know why this made a huge impression on me. But I remember this one year I worked for um, this guy, Paul Saito. Okay, that's so funny. So okay, it's funny, because like, I've been part of maybe like six startups, and three of them were started by the same guy, David Lancashire, and his most 
recent one that I have been sucked in and out of a few times. It's a crypto and it's called Saito. <laughs> and I've never connected how funny it is that the story I'm telling. Anyway, Paul Saito, who unrelated to David Lancashire Saito, it's just a guy. He's a Japanese heritage American guy in Seattle who has a restaurant called Five Hooks Fish Grill. And I worked there for a year and it was like a very seasonal thing and summers were real crazy and summers are real crazy in Seattle where a million tourists show up and especially these cruise ships, like it's hard to imagine until you see it, but like a cruise ship is like a city in and of itself. And when a city, when a cruise ship docks for 48 hours or something in your city, suddenly there's like another city worth of people that have just been added in to your city. So it's like this incredible influx that's like, like if you imagine the same amount of people driving into your city, your city couldn't handle it because there aren't that many roads and parking spots or even busing. Like there's just no way to move that many people, like tens of thousands of people into your city just in five minutes, the way um, a cruise ship docking can just unload tens of thousands of people all of a sudden. But anyway, so it gets really fucking busy and I'm working in this restaurant and I, for a period, I just made this like decision to just be available infinitely to this guy. And I'm just like, I'll just work however much you want me to work. It'd be nice to just make a lot of money for the summer. And I worked these like insane long hours. But the thing is that he worked more than me. He was the owner of the restaurant and he worked way more than me. And I was so tired. And I remember having a conversation with him about it where I was like, dude, I'm so tired right now. Like we've just been running back and forth for like 10 hours, but you've been here for 16 hours. And you're here for 16 hours every day. This has been seven days a week for you for so long. And like, I remember trying to do the math and try to think of it and trying to think of my own level of tiredness. And he just looked at me and he was like, really empathetic to how tired I was. And he was doing all these things to make my job easier and doing all these things telling me that I could go home and telling me that he would do the rest and all these different things. And he was so sympathetic and so nice. And then I was like, <clears throat> at certain times I would stop him and be like, but you're like in your 50s and I'm 30 years old and you've been working twice as many hours as me today. Like, how does this work? And he just had this like thing he said to me that like, it was so laden with meaning. It was so simple and it was so like, not worded nicely or anything, but he just looked at me and and he was just like, it's different when it's your business. And that's all he said. And like, there was no explaining. There was nothing about like unlocking higher levels of higher tiers of stamina. There was nothing. He didn't have like an, some sort of like, you know, big explanation for it. It's just different. There's something fucking fascinating for me about that. I don't know why. But it's like, I've been part of all these startups, and I think I always decided, in my head, I was always a little bit like, yeah, this is a piece of shit thing, and this is never going to work. So I never really committed to anything. And then this time around, I was offered this job, and it was like, I could see how it was like really, really devastatingly, annihilatingly hard work. But I was like, I want to try this at least once, like true capitalism. Like, like we don't even have jobs like this in Sweden. Like, in Sweden, jobs like this are illegal. And I just wanted to, like, what does it mean to be, like, 
white Anglo-Saxon Protestant work ethic? Like, what does it mean, you know? What does it feel like from the inside? And so I took this job and and it's like, it's real interesting because it's a really positive space. It was a, on the lower rung that I spent like fucking 10 months or whatever. That was already a positive space. And then I realized that that was a positive space because the higher levels, the higher the drones and the grunts and the the peons they have a good they have a they're working in a positive space because middle management is has a has a kind of a good good feeling in the room because that trickles down you know the 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 fish rots from the head um but so i don't want to take credit for any of this positivity because i really invented none of it what positivity is is like in this case is like you you walk into a room and you get given a job and there are other people in the room already who already have that job. So there's like seven of you in the room and then all seven of them just start giving you things. They're just generous. And they just give and give and give time and effort and ego and they just give up everything. And like if there's something they know that they could teach you, they just sit down and they just repeat. Like, it's so boring to them, but they just sit down there and they just repeat it to you. Even if it, like, doesn't help them and it makes you better than them. And and it's like, if you were in competition, they really shouldn't be telling you all this. But they give you all the secrets. And it's just, like, 100% openness and generosity. And so I'm in this room. I'm on this level with me and six other managers. And we're all just giving like everyone is just working 12-hour days and giving all their – like even if you're too tired to talk about it more, if someone wants to talk about it, you talk about it more. And even if you're too tired to like deal with this, you just say, no, no, no I'll deal with it. And everyone is so giving. And what happens when people are giving is that you want to give to them back. That's how that works. And it's like the most beautiful thing about being a person. That if, if, if someone just keeps giving to you, you just, you get this beautiful feeling in your heart towards them and you just want to give back. And then you end up with this atmosphere of positivity and giving and generosity where, and it's like, look, I've tried to install that philosophy in places where it doesn't exist. And really it doesn't take with everyone. Not everyone is susceptible to it, but I think, you know, so I don't want to take credit for inventing any of this, but I think on some level someone just made the judgment call that I was susceptible to, like, replicating it if I was put in the situation. Like, if I was given this job and treated with a bunch of positivity, I would start treating people with positivity. Like, I think someone made that judgment call, and and I don't, I don't know, but maybe I think maybe that's working or whatever. But so it's a job where because everyone gives so much to me i want to give so much to them back and so i walked into it kind of hesitant with like i don't know man i walked into it hesitant that you you're scheduled for a 50 hour week and it starts with a 50 hour week and and that just sounds like so much to a swede but anyway i mean i think the point is just that i've been putting in a 
I don't know, London is just such an incredible person. And, and like, we've been in the last six months, we've been dealing with so many people being sick and being out for different reasons. And she's just been picking up the slack. And she's been doing these like 18 hour days and working 25 days in a row and just doing these things that seem impossible. And it reminds me of Paul Saito when he's like, hey, it's different when it's your company, you know, like taking true ownership and what happens like how your stamina bar, what happens to your stamina bar when you tra- take tr- true ownership of something? But, but really, because she's been so generous with her time and her, her effort, I just wanted, I've just been wanting to give back to her. And then, so, so Doug got really sick and he, he was gone for a week and I didn't even like think about it twice. I was just like, it's obviously this time I'll just pick up a bunch of the slack. And so I did. And so, I closed that bitch up for five days and, and it just wasn't that easy. <laughs> it wasn't that easy, dude. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It's like there was something about this week. I just read that maybe it was our biggest week ever. Now I'm not allowed to give you any numbers, but it was big, you know? It was like, you know, the money we make in a week is like you can buy a fucking house in Sweden for that money. But, it's a big economic organism that we're dealing with here. And we're fewer people than we needed to be. And we didn't even do it in any of the easy ways, which is like, just like you split it up into like, there's a wedding over here and a restaurant over here. And together, they're really big. It was like, there was no wedding. It was just the restaurant is going to go really big. And it just went bigger than ever. And it was just more work than I've ever done. And it was shit like, <laughs> it was stupid shit like this fucking miracle bar is like those fucking ingredients that go into those drinks. First of all, it's grotesque and obscene how much of everything. Like to sell $10,000 of drinks, how much you need of fucking purple sludge that's ube flavor that you mix with almond milk and whip and fucking aerate and you hit it with some rum and it comes out as this like sweet it's like a boba tea but but it's like alcoholic and it's just delicious and sweet and asian and del- and wonderful and then making it involves taking a canbra that's like literally a 60 liter container and just mixing these like really industrial amounts of everything <laughs> and then you make this incredible obscene amount of that or eggnog like you crack a hundred eggs and you make eggnog and i crack a hundred eggs and i make eggnog and the whole time i'm feeling like bro am i making too much is this gonna go bad like am i gonna get in trouble for making this much eggnog because there's no blueprint we're just inventing this as we go and all we know is that we're too busy to even fucking talk about it like i don't even get to see people because we're always open and we open at 7 a.m and we're open till fucking midnight so you're just stretched out over the day so much that you can't even fucking get everyone in a room and and talk about it and crunch out some numbers so you're just there alone at midnight making the decision like okay i think i'm gonna crack a hundred eggs and make it into eggnog and then you make this disgusting amount of eggnog and you think it's too much and you think it's going to go bad because you can't possibly sell that much and then like five days later you look and it's like we're almost out again and you just bury your face in your hands and you're like but that was so much work making all of that and now i have to make it again so over and over and over i'm just (laughs) i'm just like alone in this thing running three different things and making an ingredient cooking and i almost burned the place down (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I've already retold this story two times in real life, but it's like, wow, I was making um, mold wine and, you know, I get the really, really, really big pot out on the fucking induction burner and I take, you know, the cinnamon sticks and the cloves and the cardamom pods and the black pepper and I, I crack it all and I crush it and then I put it in the pot and I put it on high and because I'm toasting the spices, first you toast the spices, and then I go in the other room just to go get fucking, I mean, more wine because I was turning like fucking, I had already made wine and I thought I'd mold wine and I thought I made too much because I turned fucking 60 bottles of wine into mold wine. And it seemed like such an obscene amount. <laughs> and then like 10 days later, we're almost out and I'm just like, I can't do this. This is, I don't have time to do it but so i'm doing it in the middle of service because i'm terrified that there's like because i know that there's 60 people that are going to show up at 10 p.m and when too many people show up at once in this little christmas bar there's only two things that it's realistic to serve them eggnog and mold wine because those things are no bartending no mixology it's just pour it in a glass give it out pour it in a glass give it out that's it I mean, with the eggnog, you grate some some fresh nutmeg on top, but that's fine. Just make a hundred eggnogs in one go. So when I know that 60 people are showing up, I just know that we can't be out of this thing. That's the easiest thing to serve because it'll fuck up service. So I'm in the, it's like 7.30 p.m. on a fucking Saturday and I'm in the middle of a busy restaurant and all these different things going on. And all the other managers had to leave and it was just me and I'm fucking trying to make this mold wine. And the point is that I go in the other room to get more wine and the thing catches fire, bro. <laughs> the thing catches fire so bad. <laughs> oh, God, it was so fucking terrifying. It's like a big pot, you know, like a big old kitchen pot that's like two feet across. And this thing is just like black smoke just billowing, out. like just a, a thick impenetrable column of black smoke billowing out of this pot and Kaya standing right next to it. Instead of pulling it off of the burner, <laughs> she just opens the door and she's just standing there looking at it. And I walk in the room panicking and I look at her like, why didn't you put it, pull it off the heat? And she's like, I thought it was supposed to... No, she goes, is it supposed to be doing that? And it's like, Kaya, no, it's not supposed to be doing that, Kaya. <laughs> We're not supposed to burn the hotel down. That is not part of the plan for today. And I almost set the fire alarm off, absolutely. And if I had, I don't even know. I mean, I'm certain it's like not that easy to just cancel it right away. I'm certain it would have triggered a whole thing where all the hotel rooms have to vacate. Everyone in the restaurant has to step outside. And it's like because I was toasting cardamom pots <laughs> at fucking 8 p.m. Oh, God. On a Saturday in a full restaurant. It's like, anyway, so I'm stressing and I'm doing it, but, but, and I fucked up that pot, bro. I fucked up that pot and I was, wasn't feeling good about it. And Josh looked at it and he was like, you fucked up that pot. And then Chef looked at it and I was like, is, did I fuck it? Is the pot fucked up? And Chef could just tell that I wasn't doing good in that moment. And even though I'd fucked up royally, <laughs> he just decided that we're in a place, we're at a time and a place right now where it's not time to punish anyone because everyone's doing their best and it's like, we're barely hanging on here. So he was like, he just looked at me and said, well, it's not good. And then he walked away 
And I was like, uh, and he said it in a way where it's like, he still loves me and he can tell that we, and, and he even like was like, yeah, that pot, no one cares about that pot. We didn't buy that pot. That pot is just here from the before time. It just was already here in this fucking stupid hotel when, when we started doing what we're doing, you know? So he even like sugarcoated it a little bit as if I didn't fuck up this like expensive pot. Oh, I fucked up the pot and I was burning the place down, but I did just throw those spices out, throw new spices in, and I made the mold wine happen. And then this like thing that always happens in restaurants happened where because I put so much, like we sell, you know, 50 servings of mold wine every single day, right? But because I stress out so much making it, once I brought it down so that we go from being out to having a bunch and then 60 people show up, because I had stressed out so much making it, we didn't sell a single serving. That's how it goes, you know? Like, if I hadn't made it, 20 people would have asked for it and we would have had to tell them, no, we're out. But because I made it, no one wanted it. And, you know, that's that's just how the kitchen gods like to toy with our emotions, you know? The kitchen gods really, we're really just, us mortals, we're really just, it's a twisted comedy tragedy play that we're, that they are in the middle of writing here and and I don't know, man. I'm just like, I have NPC energy these days. I really do. I, I don't know, man. I used to think I was such a main character. I used to think I had main character energy, but man, it's been a long time. I peaked like in my early 20s, bro. I was cool in my early 20s. I haven't been cool in so long. God. But so anyway, the point is that like, I was cooking until fucking 3 a.m. all these different days, and then I still have to show up, and every day it's like, I just get dizzier and dizzier, and then on the Monday, I, I was really, like, making weird mistakes. Like, I was making some really weird mistakes, and, like, <laughs> like with the bank, I just, like, was, I just was counting all the money wrong, and I was doing all the shit, and then, like, we had an event on Monday, and I just, like, closed us. Like, they've, these people have paid a lot of money for a private event, and I look at the sheet of paper wrong and I just close it down too early like they've paid for two hours and after an hour and a half I'm just like okay let's do last call and then luckily I overheard someone be like yeah we're going till this time right and so I was like oh shit did I am I doing everything wrong and I go back and I tell my bartenders like I didn't even get oh god it's such a bad story I didn't even get to tell them it was like they came up to me and asked while the, the and and I just and I was just like, yeah, we're going till that time. Yeah, yeah. And I just like, yeah, we're going till eight, right? And then I just made them go with it because I just announced in the room, yeah, yeah, we're going till eight, pretending like I hadn't just been saying that we're stopping at seven, you know? And everyone's just like, oh, yeah, you piece of shit. As if you're saying it as if that's what you've been saying the whole time, but we know you haven't been. But I was I was dying, you know? I had very little of me left. I I... It's not that I haven't been sleeping enough. It's so interesting. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Burnout is like a really, really vague thing where even if you get eight and a half hours of sleep, if all your waking time between that eight and a half hours, if the remaining whatever, not good enough at math to know what 24 minus eight and a half is right now, 15 and a half or whatever, if you spend the remaining 16 hours working too hard it doesn't matter that you get enough sleep you just like what does it mean to burn out like i've never understood it before but like 
on Monday I get off work and it's like, it just, I just had worked too hard and I wasn't feeling good. There was this thing that happened where like, <clears throat> like corporate gave us this phone because there's, it's a problem that all the subordinates contact all the managers and the subordinates don't keep track of when the managers have a day off. So the managers always get contacted on their days off. So to mitigate that, we have one phone and it's the manager phone. And when the subordinates want to call in sick or when they want to have a question for a manager or whatever, they should call that phone. And that way, no one has to keep track of whose day off it is or whatever. You just always have a phone. So corporate gives us this phone, and it's a good idea. And we're too busy to really get it involved. And we don't really launch it. We don't really give anyone the number. And I shouldn't say that because that's not, because that's a mistake we made. But we were just too busy. And we're doing our best, okay? And then this thing happened where Big Papa came, flew up from corporate, and Big Papa I shouldn't even know this, but like an email was left open on a screen where I could tell that Big Papa was pissed because he'd been calling this phone and no one was picking up and the voicemail hadn't even been set up. So we were a little bit in trouble that we hadn't been taking our manager phone seriously. And then what happened is I didn't get the email. He wasn't upset with me because I'm, it's more of a hotel side thing for some reason, but. I saw the email and I knew that we as a group were in trouble a little bit about not taking fucking things up with this manager phone. And then when my five day, on the fifth day of my work week, when my work week ends, when I'm feeling super burnt out because I've spent every waking moment for five days at work, just pushing myself too hard. On the fifth day, I come home from work. You know, I live up on the ridge. It's a 25 minute drive. It's dicey too to drive. It's like, snowy half of the half of it is snowy and the other half is icy and i come home at like 12 30 a.m which is the earliest i've come home for five days and i um i come home and i look in my pocket and there's the manager phone and i accidentally brought it home and normally under any normal circumstances you can email people and be like look i'm feeling really dizzy and burnt out right now like i'm feeling really physically bad i accidentally brought the phone home I'll bring it back tomorrow. But I just knew that everyone was having a meeting with Big Papa from corporate and that they wanted to talk about the phone and how everyone was already in trouble about not taking the phone seriously. So if it, on top of that, was the case that the phone wasn't even in the building, because stupid Joachim, fucking stupid, dirty, potato Swede Joachim brought his, brought the stupid phone to his house for his weekend. I just knew that it wasn't good. And even if it wouldn't be that bad, because no one would say anything to me, I just know that for my days off, I wouldn't be able to relax. And so in my head, I'm like, it took me about five minutes to decide. But then I just decided, okay, I'll just drive back to work, drop it off, drive back home again. I'll lose an hour. And so <clears throat> I just was already too tired. And then I get on the road and I drive for 50 more minutes but it was more like an hour because it's icy out and I drive slow. Then when I come home, the point is that like when I came home, I I have now pushed through. I've gotten to completely tired multiple times. And each time I've just had to disregard how tired I am and just puncture through it and come out the other side and just find more energy and do more work. And so 
I've pushed through so many times to so many upper tiers of extra stamina and I've used up so many, so much extra energy that I'm like not doing good. And I'm like dizzy and my hands are like numb and I just like start throwing up and stuff. And I was just like throwing up all night and I couldn't sleep. And like I've had this cold for like three weeks. And just because I'm so burnt out, my immune system is really shitty. So like this cold won't leave me. So like my throat just starts hurting more, even though I had like, like, it's the common cold. Like, honestly, just now before, just now it's kind of hitting me that like, after a while, like the common cold is a thing that you should get over pretty quick, I think. And if you don't get over it quick enough, it might be some sort of more serious infection where you might need antibiotics. So I should probably go to a doctor is what I'm realizing in this moment. But I might need some antibiotics, but I don't got them. <clears throat> so I'm like sick in all these weird ways. And then I can't even sleep because my body, like it's just body aches. And in a way I'm like, I might have COVID right now, but even if I do or don't, COVID is just an expression of, like I wouldn't have gotten COVID if if I wasn't burnt out. Like the the burnout is the the origin, you know? The source if you go upstream, it's the burnout that's the real problem. So I just got to a new level of burnout that I've never experienced. And I hope I was hoping I took a little bit of NyQuil and I was hoping to fall asleep and I couldn't. And then I took another little bit of NyQuil and then I eventually fell asleep and I didn't have a good night's sleep. And then I woke up yesterday and I just kind of played video games and chilled and watched a little bit of TV and was just feeling really bad and I had a really bad headache and I couldn't really move. And then I woke up today and I had a good night's sleep, but like, cause I went to bed at a reasonable time and I slept like nine and a, nine and a half hours or something. But I woke up today still feeling kind of bad. And it's so interesting because all of this reminds me of, I don't know, I've always had a really judgy attitude about people who claim to be burned out. Like I remember being a kid and my mom told me how her friend, she had this friend, Elizabeth, who worked for the Fossakingskassan, which weirdly, it means in the insurance, the insurance company, which in Sweden is like one government thing. Because we have a lot of forms of insurance that are just, it's not in a private market, it's just like the government thing. And, you know... It's nice that it's the government. It's nice that it's good policies. It's nice that you get money. If you get hit by a car, you lose a finger and all these bad things that can happen to you. If you fucking report it to the police and just tell the government, they'll give you some money because everyone has a basic form of insurance. But because it isn't a government thing, and really now I'm speculating, but because it's a government thing, it's also like a little bit mismanaged and a little bit underfunded at certain times as the political winds shift and, you know, a right-wing government takes over and suddenly the fucking insurance bureau of the government is underfunded. And I remember my mom's friend, Elizabeth, she just, my mom was like, yeah, she they fired these people and now she's doing three people's jobs. And then it's like four people. And then it's like five people. And then after like six and seven and eight months, this lady who has just been doing five people's jobs, trying to get through these claims, <laughs> it's so Kafka. Swedish Kafka, bro. It's so Kafka and interesting. Like, just imagine like an infinite, you know, those like hydraulic tubes that, that shoot mail back and forth in old timey offices. I, I imagine it like that. Like just a tube that's just like, 
and it just keeps spitting out claims. And it's just people that don't have their fingers and people where they can't feed their kids and things that you just cannot, you can't be like, I don't care because you're there because you care a little bit. And then in the face of these actually human stories of individuals, you have to care. So you just keep working <laughs> and you work ad infinitum, you know, just, just infinite work. There's infinite work and you work infinitely. And she burnt out and she got so burnt out that she like could never work again. And I remember just thinking about it like, damn, dude, that lady is a fucking bitch. Like that lady is such a lazy piece of shit. Like I would never get in that situation. And then I have this like judgy juvenile attitude of like, first of all, I would never care about anything that much. So I wouldn't end up in that situation in the first place. Secondly, just work more. Like, just get out of bed. Stop being so lazy. But it's like, <clears throat> it is, I don't know, man. It's so interesting because burnout is just so vague. Like, you you zombie, you, you sleepwalk into it. I can really tell how you sleepwalk into it because there is always more energy. Because here's the thing, too. Like, I have this day job where I do this thing, but then I've been doing this project that I don't want to talk about on my own that I really that's like creative and fun and visual that I can always, that I find f it's fun to me for me in a way that I can always, does not matter. There are certain activities that it does not matter how tired I am. I can always do it. Baking for some reason is one of those things. So like at certain times in my life where I've been jet lagged in a weird way where I like haven't slept for 36 hours because I've flown in from China or whatever. And it's like 9 a.m. or noon or something. And I know that if I fall asleep now, I'm going to wake up completely rested at 8 p.m. And I will fuck up like the next five days. So it's completely imperative that I do not fall asleep right now. I need to stay up for nine more hours. And for some reason, baking is one of these things where even if I am that tired where I'm like my eyes are just like googly balls floating around in my head and I cannot focus and everything is just like my brain just feels like it's on fire and numb at the same time and it's like shrinking and bloated at the same time but it's like really it's shrinking and it's like pulling away from its lining like you, you can just feel your brain pulling away from its own fucking lining and there's not enough mucus to fill out the void you know hypomucusism um, for some reason, even in that state, if I'm like, okay, I'm going to make fucking Lucia saffron buns right now, I'm going to make a, a quadruple batch of saffron buns, or I'm going to, I'm going to bake Portuguese egg tarts. I just get in the, in the zone, bro. And I put on a YouTube video about how to make Portuguese egg tarts and I flake it up and I get a nice buttered crust going and I, I get 16 layers of fucking butter. You know how a piece of paper, if you fold a piece of paper more than seven times, it contains every atom in the whole universe? Like that, but with butter? You know, same thing. You know, you can never fold a piece of paper more than seven times. But somehow a croissant is like papery butter dough folded over 16 times with butter between every layer. What does that mean? What, what am I saying? Anyway, it's like baking is one of those things, and then certain... um 
visual creative projects. I just have to look at it for one second or think about it for one second. And then my mind just becomes this fountainhead, just squirting out ideas. And I just want to work on it more. And even if I'm deathly tired. So it's not just my day job that's been killing me. It's like, I've been doing these fucking 14 hour days. No, that's not true. That's such an exaggeration. I've been doing these like 11 and a half and 13 hour days. And then I come home and I do something which is focused and it's literally trying to get a product out the other end and it is ostensibly work. Like you can word, you can, I don't know what the definition of work is, honestly, but it turns out that I think looking back on it, I think that was also work, which means that I think for five days straight, I wasn't sleeping enough and I used every waking moment working. And it just, I don't know, it was, it, it was, it was the worst of times and it was the best of times because like, I don't know, there was something someone said about Josh that this week it was like, man, homie was like, we pushed him a little bit too far and he had, it, he just, he was really too tired and he had to go home. And so was I. And I think we broke some sort of record in sales and I think it kind of broke our backs. And it was the, it was, you know, Breaking the record is a really good news. And breaking it back is a really bad thing. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. A tale of two cities over here. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, man. The point is that I'm really interested in this idea of how much energy do we really have what does it mean to be too tired to do something? I don't know. And I was also watching some sports this week. And I was thinking about it in terms of sports. Like, I really think that being the best, like, being the fastest runner, it's probably, there's like a lot of it which is in your muscles where you like, you run and then you try to run faster. And then you think about your legs as they run really, 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 really fast. But the thing is that you can always... Not even with your muscles, just in your mind, just visualize your own legs moving. And you can always visualize them going even faster, visually, in your mind. Like, going even faster. So, and if you can visualize it, I'm sure being the fastest runner in the world involves a few times when you're like, you have to be like, I think I'm thinking about this wrong. And you have to be like, I have to not think about how I think about my legs and I have to think about them different and I have to like come up with a completely new mental paradigm for my legs because I think your legs are not meant to run that fast. Like there's a, we come with, just like how a computer comes with certain like software drivers, you know, like your fucking Ethernet card comes with drivers and your graphic card comes with drivers and your fucking monitor comes with drivers of like, how does this work? How do these things connect to each other? And like, what is their fucking, the cognitive language to com- to connect these two fucking things that, that both function in their own right? And I think to be the fastest runner in the world, you have to, it's not enough to just practice a lot. I think you have to like do a weird psychological thing where you like, uninstall how your legs want to work and start thinking about your legs in a new way of how your legs don't even want to work. Like they don't want to work like that. They don't want to move that fast. But you like visualize a completely new way for your legs to work and then you just go onto the field and you just make your legs get as close as possible to this idea you have in your head of how fast two legs can move. 
and I don't know. I mean, people always say that. People always say that it's like, you know, like elite sport, pro athlete stuff. It's mostly mental work. But it's like, what does that mean, though? But I think it means something like that, where it's like, oh, it it, it means that you really have to, like, sit and think about it. Now, that doesn't mean that we should take the political opinions of sports people seriously, though. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong now. Should I drink a water? So here's something crazy that happened, you know? I don't know. I wanted, I don't know. I'd like, I'd love to just speak openly about this. But so Tristan, my favorite person in the whole world this week, Tristan, (laughs) it's like, oh no, I want to say it. I'm not allowed to say it. Anyway, there was a, anyway, anyway, Tristan gave me some sparkling water. She went to the Asian grocery store and she got me sparkling water. And here's the thing. I mean, this is so strange because I am 400 waters in. I've reviewed probably 400 waters at this point. And I have, like, outside of just the ones I've reviewed, there are many, many more that I'm aware of where I'm like, I have contacted them and asked them to send me free samples and then they haven't. So I haven't reviewed them, but I'm aware of them. So I feel like I, and then there's just other countries where I'm like just aware of all the sparkling water in all the different countries. So I thought, I mean, I'm getting to a point where it's very, very rare for me to see something completely new. Like I can keep going with this forever because everyone keep new brands keep coming up and existing brands keep coming up with new flavors. So don't worry, I'll keep going with this forever. But it's like, rare for me to and people try all the time they're always like hey have you heard of this one and then i have to do this boring thing where i'm like yeah yeah where i have to try to be patient and be like yeah i i I just so happens i i I have heard of that one yeah yeah i've heard of it yeah and then they're like yeah well that's my wife's favorite and then i'm like yeah yeah i i i reviewed it i reviewed it in episode 37 i I said it smells like a clean bathroom and I, I don't really care for it, but I, I, you know, your wife and me, we must just have different palettes, but really what I want to say is that your wife has a shit palette, you know? So somehow Tristan bought three sparkling waters. First of all, three. She bought three. <laughs> it's perfect. It's already a flight. It's an episode right there. Anyway. She got me some water. I haven't even heard of it. I haven't reviewed it, let alone nothing. And also it's Asian. Like, how is there Asian sparkling water that I haven't heard of? I don't know. It's a completely new situation that never happens. Um, So it's sailor. It's also fun and funny and like, yeah, I don't know. It's Sailor Moon sparkling water. The brand is called Ocean Bomb. Each can has a different Sailor Moon on it. And this first one here is lychee flavor. Sparkling water, lychee flavor. I don't know. Cannot be overstated how how crazy. Oh, that smells good. Lychee is delicious. That smells. Oh, just the smell from this sparkling water brings to mind so much of the juicy, firm texture of a perfectly ripe lychee. Because really, lychee is a great flavor, but really the best part of a lychee is the texture. The juicy, citrus-esque firmness of the flesh of citrus, of uh, lychee, with like the smooth pit. Oh, I love lychee. 
Yeah, that's a 10 out of 10, just straight up. That is just so delicious. I love this water. Oh, my God. It's not the first lychee of sparkling water I review on the pot, but it's the best one. I reviewed a little bit of Zanzo lychee, and that was not good. Yeah, that's a 10 out of 10. Anyway, um, thank you, Tristan. This episode is definitely dedicated to you. You know, sometimes I feel like I do this podcast just to fucking get away from myself because it's there's something I don't know do I even know how to explain this it's like I was just sitting here on my day off with a headache on my couch I'm like watching tv but my neck hurts and it's like whatever I do my neck hurts like what's more annoying than skeletal muscular problems because it's like everything you think you should be doing intuitively from how your body feels like when my back hurts the only thing I want to do, it feels like it hurts because I'm upright and I just want to lay down. But really, cognitively, I know that it like hurts because I laid down too much. So it's like you want to relax, it, but you should, you should just do the opposite of what your body wants to do the whole time. It's just so, it's just so annoying. I don't know. I'm so uncomfortable with the, the, um, the, the sort of dissonance, the discrepancy, the disconnect between how we feel our our bodies are and how we like, like what what we on our own feel what our bodies are. And then you go see a doctor and your doctor is like, oh, yes, yeah, so this ball joint, the way it really works is you shouldn't bend it that way ever. Or like, yeah, so this tumor here, it's like not going to get worse. Don't worry about this tumor. Or like, yeah, so this skin condition here where your your skin feels drier and drier the more lotion you put on it, yeah, stop putting lotion on it and it's going to be less dry. Like the disconnect between it, – it's like all alternative medicine is about the seduction of what feels true about our bodies because things feel a certain way. Like it feels true that you don't want to be sour on the inside acidity acidity sounds bad it sounds like corrosive and bad so you don't want your body to be really acidic so this idea of like drinking alkaline water feels like it feels true it feels like a good idea and then you talk to a doctor about it and it's like bro you're pouring first of all you're pouring a really negligent amount of water with a negligently alkaline quality to it into a stomach that's highly, highly acidic and corrosive. And hey, why do you think, why do you think the stomach is full of stomach acid? You think that's an accident? The body wants stomach acid in there. And if the stomach acid becomes too alkaline, you fucking die on the spot. Like, then you can't, then you can't digest food. It's, the corrosive acidic quality of your stomach acid that makes it so that you can turn fucking food into calories, into energy, you know? Like, none of that feels true. It feels terrible. It feels like you want your stomach to be like a calm, chill, neutral place. Like, emotionally, I want my my stomach to be neutral. But my stomach needs to be this, like... Basically like a biblical depiction of hell, like a Dante Inferno acidity sort of thing where there's like pillars of magma just shooting up and down and lava is just like 
flowing down at the bottom and and his pillars of fire shooting back and forth. And that's how we digest food. And there's no way around that until we get to a crimes of the future style other digestive tract, which turns plastic into fucking workable energy for your muscles. Until we get to that, you need your innards to be acidic as fuck and stop drinking alkaline water because it's partly a waste of time and partly bad for you. Luckily, it's not particularly bad for you. Luckily, it's mostly meaningless, you know? But I'm so uncomfortable with it all. It's like TMJ, like my jaw hurts so fucking bad all the time. Me and Kaya fucking have the same problem. It's like we both worry too much and it just sits in our jaw and then we can't open our mouths and we can't eat and then we worry about that and then it makes it worse. All my anxiety is just sitting in my jaw. And um, and then my buddy Sam sent me this document about TMJ and, and it's like everything in it is counterintuitive. Everything that doctors have to say about TMJ feels untrue. Man, TMJ, bro, what does it stand for? Let's learn. Temporomandibular joint dysfunction. TMJ syndrome. Yeah, so let's not learn that, actually. Let's not learn that. Temporomandibular joint dysfunction. That's just too hard. Know your limits, you know? <clears throat> Maybe that's what this episode is about. Know your limits. I overworked. And like... I don't know. There was like weird stuff that happened. There was so much weird stuff that happened. I made so many weird mistakes. And like, I don't know if this really, like, I don't know if I can explain how weird this is to me, but like, listen to these two things that happened to me in the last five days, in the last seven days. First of all, one of these days, right? I'm, I'm, I'm at work all day. I work for 12 hours. I come home. I'm completely dead tired. And then I work on this creative visual project for a little bit. And then I fall asleep. And then I wake up. And then I eat some breakfast. And then I drink coffee. And then I'm like about to go back to work. And I'm chilling and stuff. And I'm looking for my phone. And I'm like, damn, if I can't, I'm about to be late for work if I don't find my phone. And then I get to the point where I'm actually late for work looking for my phone. And I look in the couch, under the couch all around the sink and it's messy so it's like it could be anywhere and I look in my bed and I like undo my whole bed and then make my whole bed and I look through all my laundry and around all of my plants and on my desk looked on my desk probably eight times and then this thought pops in my head where I'm like is it possible that my phone is still in my car and that it's still in the spot where because I have this like little phone stand in my car where it like connects to the car fucking screen so that the navigation is from the phone but it's shown on the big car screen and like music plays in the car but it's from the phone and all this stuff so the phone when i'm driving it sits on the dashboard is in this nice neat little stand and i'm like is it possible that 12 hours ago in the middle of the night it's like 2 p.m at this point and i'm like is it possible that last night at 2 a.m i just didn't take my phone out of my car and that I have spent the last 12 hours without my phone. And I don't know if that is like, if it really, like, it's hard for me to communicate how weird that is. Like, that means that something is off. Because me, when I'm normal, dude, I'm on my phone, bro. I'm checking my phone. And if I don't, if I'm not checking my phone, like, I'm in some sort of weird, very rare survival mode where I'm like really trying to crawl over to the sink to get a little bit of water. 
that's the state of my being, you know? I'm really on the brink of death here, and I'm like just trying to crawl to the next thing for survival. And somehow the, the, the act of checking my phone, which should be happening every fucking 45 minutes in any normal situation, it just didn't happen for 12 hours. And then I kind of had the same thing happen just now where I was like going to record this podcast and I was looking for my laptop and it's like, I got off work two days ago and I look everywhere for the laptop and then I'm like, is my laptop still in my work bag? And it was because I haven't used my laptop for two days because I've just been sitting on the couch angrily with a migraine. I don't know. Let's drink another water. Um, <clears throat> okay. So brand is called Ocean Bomb. This one has the yellow Sailor Moon. The previous one has the pink Sailor Moon. Really, really suspect if you're a guy and you like Sailor Moon. Um, has a really, really, really weird, like, undefined age. Like, am I supposed to think that the Sailor Moon girls are hot? They seem really young. The whole thing seems like Japan has a little bit of a problem with sexualization of children. But what do I know? You know? What do I know? What do I know? All right. The plot thickens. I'm looking at this can and I was like, oh, yeah, a bunch of Japanese on here. But when I really look at it, this is not Japanese. This is Chinese, bro. Because there's nothing weird. The thing about Japanese is like they take proper Chinese and then every couple of characters, they just throw in some static, just some TV noise, just like some shit that that is nothing. Like to them, it's something and to them, it's a language, but it's really just a corruption of something that was perfectly fine. And then here, I'm looking at this, and this is all good, you know? A portion size is 330 centiliters. No, 330 milliliters. And it's one packaging. Gongke, that's such a nice word. Milligram. Thousand kus. Anyway, so this is the Chinese edition of something which is a product of Taiwan. That's how you get there. That's how you get things that feel completely Japanese, but they're Chinese. Product of Taiwan. Dude, how crazy is this? Maoli County. Sun E Township. I don't know. Mango flavor. This one has the yellow Sailor Moon on it. Ooh. That smells really good, too. Um. Sometimes one of the flavors, I mean, <clears throat> most of the time, correction, most of the time, I get a bunch of flavors from a brand and one of the flavors is well executed and then everything else is like not good. This here, I'm, I'm, this might be really good. Yep. 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 That's delicious. That is such juicy, fresh mango. Wow. Ocean bomb. Is the second B in the word bomb silent in American English? Bomb. I think I think it is, and I've never thought of that. But then again, what is American English? It recently was brought to my attention that in black vernacular, the W in sword isn't silent. You know? I could show you an entire library full of rap songs where black guys go, sword, and hey, you can't tell them that they're wrong. You're not allowed to tell them that they're wrong. It's just how they say it. And it's how they choose to say it. So there you go. Hey, oh, you, you think I'm racist for pointing it out? Oh, well, I'm rubber and you're glue because you're the racist one. 
Oh. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, so stupid. Oh, God. Hey, sword. My mind is like a sword. Who said that? That was Lil B. Love the guy. Know all of his songs by heart. Even that one album where he has a thousand songs on one album. You know, the MySpace collection? Yeah. Hey, do I know all thousand? No. Have I even listened to all thousand? No. Are most of them good? I wouldn't know. But all the ones that have the word God in the title are fucking awesome. I'm God, you're God, based God, you know, it just keeps going. Only God. Oh, Lil B. What would we do without him? Here's the thing I've been thinking about. Here's one angle. Actually, let me bring up multiple topics from last episode and describe how they're all one topic. So I was talking last episode about how how it's hard for me to tell if my – the fact that I'm from a small place far away, if that actually makes something different about my experience in the world or not. I'm not sure because – so what was the example? Let me think. Like – Oh, I feel alienated. Oh, I don't understand this reference. Oh, I can't make puns properly. People don't understand my puns because my frame of reference is so unique and special. And I honestly don't know if that's how everyone feels because ultimately everyone's experience is completely unique. And maybe everyone feels alienated and maybe in especially in the modern era with infinite media and infinite finite time but infinite media leads to this thing of like, even if we all have Netflix, we've all seen different things on Netflix. So we're all out here referencing different things and we don't understand each other's references. And you don't have to be from a foreign country to feel like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And even when we have seen the same shit, Sometimes we don't know what we're talking about. Like this one time, two days ago, I'm in the kitchen and I'm about to run some food. And and all the boys in the kitchen are riffing and Chef is like, fuck it, we'll do it live. And Chef Eric is like, fuck it, we'll do it live. And then I grab the food and I'm like, okay, table 31. And then I'm like, what does that mean to play us out? And then they're screaming at me like, what? You don't you don't know what we're saying? We're, you don't know Bill Riley, bro? You don't know that Bill O'Reilly? Bill O'Reilly thing where he's like, fuck it, we'll do it live. And then I look at them and I'm like, bro, what I just said, what does it mean to play us out? That's the first line from that clip. That hilarious early internet clip where Bill O'Reilly gets really angry and screams, fuck it, we'll do it live. It starts with something weird was on the prompter and he didn't understand it. And he read it out loud and he goes, what does that mean to play us out? What does that mean? And he gets really mad about what the, the word, the confusing words they're putting on the prompter. And he just starts screaming and he's like, fuck it, we'll do it live. Fuck it. And he gets so mad. And it's like, I actually think it plays into burnout because I just think that all famous people who are like high performing, like overwhelmingly famous people became famous because they just were really burnout resistant. And they just could sleep four hours a night and then work all their waking hours. But it doesn't mean that you have to be nice all the time. It just means that you're still putting out work and that your work is good enough. Because God damn it, I don't feel like that's the case for me, you know? Like, I feel 
in my heart of hearts, if I haven't had nine hours of sleep and then I get to wake up for 90 minutes without caffeine and then 90 minutes into my wake up, I have caffeine and then the caffeine hits me and then an hour later, I don't have too much caffeine, but I have some caffeine. And then an hour later after having that caffeine, no one has said anything upsetting to me. In that moment, I am perfect. And for five minutes, I can step in front of a camera or do something, you know, or have a conversation with another human being and feel like, I might be ready for this. Under all other circumstances, I walk up to every single person I interact with and in my heart of hearts, I feel like I am not ready for this. Like I shouldn't, I should avoid this. I should go home and just lay down and wait for the circumstances to be better because I haven't had the right amount of caffeine and I haven't had the right amount of sleep and I haven't had the right, right amount of this and I haven't had the right amount of that. I haven't had the right amount of boat and I haven't had the right amount of goat, you know? And it's like famous people are just different than that. They just sleep nothing and they put makeup on and they just talk and they just, you're a reporter and you're Bill O'Reilly and you're screaming. Anyway, the point of what I was saying is like, chef and Chef Eric and me, we've all, we're all similar age and we've all seen the same hilarious Bill O'Reilly clip. And even though we have, even in this rare moment when we have the same frame of reference, we don't even understand what we're talking about. I still manage to alienate myself from them by somehow going too deep into the reference because I quoted a line from that clip that's less famous. So it's like, I'm out. What, what was I talking about? I'm out here trying to understand if that's like really a thing for me. And then this other, like, is it a, am I, do I feel more alienated than other people? Cause I'm like, literally, I have a card at my house that says permanent resident alien. I have a green card that says alien on it, you know? But it's like, do people who don't have a green card that says alien on it also feel alienated? And then there's this other angle where I just feel like there's something qualitatively um, undeniably different to being Swedish because there are many things that you grow up in a small town and you interact with different cultural things and expressions and your mom says stuff and your mom has all these like expressions of her own. And Swedish is just too small of a language. So... There are like countless things, like I frequently think of things from my childhood and I try to Google them and they are ungoogleable. They just, there is no answer on the internet to like, what is the etymology of that? Like, what is that? Who was that person who did that thing? What does that expression mean? You know, what is that thing we eat for that holiday? Like all these things that just, they were just made up in some village and no, and they just did not end up on the internet. And it can feel to me like, oh, that's because I'm from Sweden and I'm out here Googling in Swedish. And Googling in Swedish means that you are weighed down. And then it's easy for me to convince myself that no one in America has that experience, that everyone, but it's, 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 a, it's a fallacy. It's wrong. It's wrong because anything that becomes like a fucking national issue obviously is Googleable, And anything that is just your weird thing that some people in your village, like it's the same everywhere. The Swedish thing, it doesn't matter. And I, I was confronted with this recently because, and I talked about this last episode, uh, and I can't believe I didn't mention it, but like I was talking about going to Yuba City and, and, and trying to through the meditation exercise thing of, 
thinking of something as the last time you're ever going to do it. Try to imbue a really boring experience with some sort of magic. And I was quite successful. But one thing that I didn't mention about that day where I was in Yuba City and had the worst tacos I've ever had at Taqueria Guadalajara. Absolutely awful. Dry fucking tortillas. Coleslaw. Chicken with no seasoning. Like so upsetting that in California, which is adjacent to Mexico, should be full of Mexicans and was staffed ostensibly, seemingly staffed by Mexicans and Reddit said it was the best taco place in Yuba City. Terrible tacos. Anyway, outside of that, it's on Franklin Road. There's a big mall on Franklin Road. And when I say big mall, I mean there's a big parking lot with a strip mall next to it. And there's a fucking Starbucks and there's a fucking IHOP. And there's like a some sort of a secondhand vintage store. I shouldn't say vintage because vintage means fancy and this is not fancy. But the point is that there's this huge parking lot and the parking lot is full of chickens. And I remember seeing these chickens for the first time, um, not when I was there last week, but the time before that, like six weeks ago or something. For some reason, I was in that parking lot because, I oh yeah, because I was actually going to, I was in Yuba City and I was Googling vintage stores and I went to every single secondhand store that they have in the entire city. Uh, complete trash, didn't find anything fun, but um, it brought me to that, um, brought me to that parking lot and I saw a chicken in the parking lot. There's just a chicken. And then I saw a second chicken and I took a picture of him and there's two chickens. And I was going to send this picture to my uncle, but I didn't. I got distracted and I didn't send it to my uncle. And I was thinking about it in that moment. I was thinking about it just like as, yeah, we're in the valley, you know, it's kind of rural. It's kind of like there are farms everywhere. And here's two chickens. Like, how weird is this? And I guess it's just the country a little bit. You know, I guess you're not in San Francisco anymore and there's chickens here. And then when I came back this time around, when last week when I'm in that parking lot, I saw like 20 chickens, bro. And then when the guy from the Toyota dealership who has the shuttle van that shuttles you to the Starbucks and then picks you up when they've maintained your fucking truck, when he came and picked me up, there were chicken everywhere and he started talking about them. And he was like talking about how it's a mystery, and how no one knows where the chickens are from. But he was, no, actually he didn't say it was a mystery. He says, yeah, they say there used to be a chicken farm here. And I, and I talked about it last episode. He was just a crazy guy who was just talking constantly. And you couldn't really, there was no, you know, spaces for you to respond to any of it. Because he just wanted to keep talking. Just like this true sort of man archetype who's just really comfortable talking and who has never asked himself, like, am I contributing anything? Oh, God, no, I sound like just he's podcasting. Okay. <laughs> the podcaster is like a really uh, look, I don't feel bad about podcasting because I'm not forcing this on anyone. Honestly, me podcasting is an attempt for me to force myself on people less because I sit down for two hours and just talk to myself in a silent room with me and my, a microphone, I become a much better listener in real life because I've like pontif I've gotten all the pontification out of the way. And if I have some big idea I want to really flesh out out loud, I just do it on here and people don't have to listen. 
And then I just put out this like secret little mp3 file and then it's fucking optional for you to listen to it so you cannot make fun of me for mansplaining and fucking being male archetype just talking to himself without ever because what i was going to say is a man who just talks without ever asking himself does anyone give a shit like does anyone want to hear what i have to say or should i just shut the fuck up because podcasting is an act of not asking yourself that like it's the act of disregarding that question. Does anyone give a shit? But the point is, he didn't say that it was a mystery. He said, yeah, they say there used to be a chicken farm here. And I, and I heard him say that, and in my head I was like, okay, well, that doesn't sound very realistic. There's a chicken farm, and then they turn it into a parking lot, and that means that now there's chickens on the parking lot? Like, that's not how society works. That doesn't make any sense to me. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to Google it when I get home and just get the real answer for why there's fucking chickens on Franklin Road. And then when I Google it, first of all, there's zero hits. Secondly, there's one hit. And it's like the local fucking acronym and then a five, you know, like the local news in America. It's all like kcrw5.com because local news has to I don't know why it's like that but that's what it's like so there's some fucking like HPV5 article or whatever and the article (laughs) you read the article first of all some of those local news websites they don't adhere to like the normal you know like conventions of how you arrange a website so I'm reading this article and there's like um, you you get to the part in the article where the article is broken up by a bunch of advertisement ads, just banner ads, and then you expect the article to keep going below the banner ads. But really, the article was just like one paragraph, and then there was 40 banner ads, and then there was no more to the article. And the article literally said, it's a mystery. Like, we don't know where the chickens are from. But, and then there's the second article saying how yeah, a lot of these chickens get hit by cars. But so what the fella in the shuttle car was telling me is that he's seen people feed him. And bro, I saw people feed him. I saw a homeless white guy with, uh, I was going to say dreads, but what do you call it when it's just one dread? You know, what do you call it when all of your hair gives up and becomes one hair? Because cause you, you opted against shampoo. A fella like that with a shopping cart feeding the chickens like fucking French bread, you know? Shouts out to Marissa who taught me the word French bread. Not to be confused with French bread. Uh, French bread is a specific thing. Um, so, yeah. What I'm saying is that if you grow up in Yuba City and there's these chickens and then you think back on your childhood and you're like... Why was there chickens? And then you Google it and there's no answer. You have the exact same experience that I had when I was like, why are all the convenience stores in my town run by Turkish people? Or no, why do we call them Turkish, but they're from Iran? Like Googling any part of that will give you zero hits. And it's just this thing that we were all thinking about, but it didn't make it onto the internet because it just wasn't, Like, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it onto the internet. Honestly, 
I've been thinking a lot about. For some reason, I've been accidentally stumbling upon. I've been watching movies and TV a little bit randomly, and I've been stumbling upon a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff. And I'm really feeling like we have this thing that we say that the internet is forever. And I really feel like there's a non-negligible, negligible probability that that will sound really silly after the fact, because. What the internet really did is that it we we print p- stuff way less, like we fucking print send home postal ad material like a motherfucker. Everyone gets like about five pounds of printed ads in their mailbox that that they throw immediately in the trash. But like instructions for how you make a nuclear power plant, like we don't really print that on paper. We keep it on, we keep it digital, and. If we encounter any kind of, maybe this is obvious to everyone else, but it's not that obvious to me how like, maybe we, maybe I should be printing stuff more. I don't know. I'm still going up and down in this sort of, the the question that was, it's interesting to think back on the, the timeline of the 100 and whatever episodes of the podcast, because a, a question that was really hanging over the podcast, the first 20 episodes, because I started the podcast right when COVID hit, was like in the very early episodes before we even started social distancing, because it hadn't even made it to America yet. And it wasn't a global pandemic. And it was just like this weirdly worrying thing. A weird thing in the beginning was like, is society going to fall apart? Like for the first 20 episodes, a question that kept coming up where we kept taking the temp, I say we, because I had a lot of guests on for the, in the beginning, we kept taking the temp and the temp kept changing on the question. Do you think society is going to fall, fall apart uh, in an, in the near future? And then I don't think me and my people ever really thought that it was more than 10% 10% probability that society was going to fall apart. But because society falling apart means the death of most people, it's really crazy to consider that it's even like a 5% probability or anything. And now, and I can't really put my finger on why, because like a recession, like we can survive a recession. A recession is normal. And like, you know, inflation and a tightening labor market and a loosening labor market, all these like normal economic um, trends that are existing within the realms of what has always existed. Like nothing is really that off the chart, but somehow I just feel worried about it all. Like it, it feels not, um, there's a qualitative difference. There's not a difference in absolute numbers, but there's just a qualitative difference where it just feels like even a small recession this time around will just tear us apart more. I don't know. I feel a little bit worried about it all. Anyway, this let me switch topics here. There, something that I was thinking about is like um, I got this buddy and she is – maybe the answer to this is really – maybe this is a question. Maybe the answer is really straightforward. Um, I have a buddy and she left me voice messages on WhatsApp. She left me about 45 minutes worth of voice messages. And then I start listening to them. And the first message is like a five minute message. And at the end of this five minute message, she's like, I'm sorry, this is so boring. This must be so boring to listen to. And what she's talking about is how like she's in this relationship and the relationship is like, 
a little bit in trouble maybe and and it's like there's this tiny sort of conflict where her partner is like criticizing her for waking up too late and leaving the house at noon and getting just she didn't sleep well and she didn't get started with her day and she left the house at noon to go to the gym and then he criticizes her for that and then she feels really hurt by this and it's so much there's so much to unpack there right but but really it's like it's an expression, like it hurt her feelings because it's an expression of bigger problems in the relationship or whatever. But really what I was going to say is like, it was at the end of the first five minute message. And as I'm hearing it, I'm just so fascinated by how wrong she is because I'm listening to it and I am just captivated by this story that she's telling about what happened to her today. Cause she definitely, she basically talked for 45 minutes about a fight that they had today. And a conflict and how the fight didn't really happen and how they were mostly spent the day apart and the tension of that and like the tiny message that gets sent back and forth when you're not really talking and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And I'm like, I it's interesting how bad we are at knowing what's interesting to listen to. Because really, and I mean, Jesus Christ, I say that as a podcaster, you know, like I don't think, and in in the in this case here too, it's like, my, I, you have to reach a certain critical mass with your podcast to get any sort of functioning feedback loop going where people, you know, like if you're a real podcaster, let's just be honest here and admit that I'm not a real podcaster and I just podcast for like 10 of my friends or whatever. But if you're a real podcaster, you have like fans that turn your podcasts into clips and then some of those clips become more popular and some of those clips don't become popular. And then that becomes a feedback loop where you can look at the headlines and remember what you talked about in those clips and be like, oh, so that's what people think is interesting. And you can become better and better at it. Whereas me... I've literally spent 300 hours just sitting here (laughs) with absolutely no feedback on what's interesting. That's not completely true because people do send me little messages and I appreciate it and and like people comment on it. And, you know, I, I get a little bit of feedback, but it's not a lot, bro. It is not a lot. And it's not really enough to adjust any kind of behavior and it's just so interesting how bad we are just using our own instinct to figure out what's interesting to listen to and what's not interesting to listen to but then on the other hand i as i was saying this out loud now i thought of this other thing so i list i i actually talked about sebastian maniscalco on the podcast previously i Remember when I watched his previous stand-up special, I talked about it at length on the podcast because I actually do think it's kind of like a very strong, clear, colorful perspective that he puts out of like a pretty conservative American immigrant because he has like Italian heritage and it's like he talks about the modern world and it's kind of interesting to listen to someone who's very different from yourself talking about the world. And then um I think it was yesterday or maybe two days ago. I just saw on Netflix that he had a new special and his new special is called Is It Me? Which is so vague of a title that I actually was like, have I seen this already? It sounds like exactly like what his last special was about because it's all the exact same thing. 
like everything he does is the same thing of like he's upset with the world because he's different from the world and then he presents it to you and and it all poses the question of like is it me or is it the world that's fucking annoying here like why do people dress so poorly now is it me or are people dressing poorly nowadays and there's not really an answer to that question but yeah americans wear too much under armor yeah no it's not you it's not you americans dress terribly anyway he said this one thing in it where he was like, I can't stand it when we do like, how are you? And people start telling me they're like, fucking, yeah, I had a coffee today and blah, blah, blah. If you're going to tell me, if I ask you, how are you doing? You got to really tell me what's going on. You got to be like, hey, yeah, I mean, look, I had an affair yesterday. And then I'm going to be like, what? What happened, bro? Like, you got to give me some really juicy tea. And I remember, like, when he started the sentence, I was really, I, it's, I, I was, he, there's a pause, and he, there was a rush of ideas for me to fill in the blanks of, like, what does he want to hear? And then what he wants to hear is that his friend is having an affair, because that's just really juicy gossip. And then I'm like, yeah, that is just the easiest thing, isn't it? Like, really ju juicy gossip is what all human culture is. Like me watching Kanye West on Alex Jones is really just, like we dress it up as if it's something else, but really it's just really juicy gossip. And all these clickbaity Trump headlines, they're really just, it's gossip, it's juicy. It, it It's like what he did, what? And it's really just like you're at high school and the popular kid did something crazy, you know? The popular kid fucking embarrassed himself. And you just want to hear the juicy gossip. And it's all one thing, you know? And as I was saying this thing about my buddy who left me 45 voice messages, I realized that maybe I was interested in the 45 minutes just from a really base animal level because it's juicy gossip. Because she's talking about a relationship that might be falling apart, you know? Which is like sad, but it's also juicy gossip. It's sad and then it's also like when you're talking about it in a f way of like, well, I wasn't, I didn't want to tell anyone about this for so long and I was in so much pain and now I'm finally telling you about it and it feels good to talk about it. There's a way to hear that and not be depressed, you know, because really like the death of a relationship doesn't have to be that sad. What's sad is like the suffering of not giving up on a relationship that you should give up on. But just giving up on a relationship that you should give up on is maybe not that sad, but what do I know? I probably give up too easily. I probably give up too easily. I think all of my friends should break up with their girlfriends. Probably. That's probably what I think. Nah, that's not true, actually. I know quite a few healthy people right now who are in good relationships. But I don't know, there was something about Googling the chickens in Yuba City that made me feel so much less alienated. Because I really feel like I'm from a place that exists outside of the internet. When I Google stuff from my childhood and from where I'm from and nothing comes up. I just feel like, do I not exist? But really, we all exist under, like, it just hasn't risen to the level of the internet. The internet isn't, not everything is on the internet. And the internet is probably not forever. Like, as much as we're getting more efficient with making energy and more efficient with storing a fucking 
byte of data with getting more and more bytes on a hard drive. At the same time, it's like, bro, are we really going to maintain this like infinite backlog of every single fucking, I mean, sure, maybe tweet because it's text, but like, is really every single picture ever taken that we put on the internet really going to stay up? Because, I mean, I put some shit up that's not available anymore, you know? And every three years, I go on this web website, p.cfw.me, which is like free hosting. It's a webcomic service where anyone can make an account and host their webcomic for free. And I did it like 15 years ago. And I never paid any money and I put this whole thing up. And it, it's like a great interface where you can... um design the whole website for free and they host your whole webcomic and they they flesh out the whole interface and everything and i never really made i like i made i put all this time and effort into making this webcomic drawing all these pictures and writing all these things that i thought was poetic in chinese and then i never really made a very well organized backup of anything so it only exists on the website and then every three years I go on the website just to see if it's still there. And every time I'm so surprised to find that it's still there. Like the internet is unpredictable in in its infinity, in its longevity. Anyway, maybe we should drink another water. So the third one here, brand is still Ocean Bomb. This is strawberry flavor. Now, strawberry as a flavor, I have never really had a good experience with because the entire good The goodness of a strawberry is having your teeth sink into the flesh of a firm, perfect strawberry. Like, it has nothing to do with the flavor. The juice that comes out of the strawberry is a rounding error in the experience of what's good about a strawberry. Okay, but hey, look, though, I mean, it's a tart, interesting, wow, they went real Wow, this is like, they went real. So it's tart and it just smells like strawberry seeds. Hate to say it, folks, I still like it. That's still a seven. That's a seven or an eight. It's so fresh. They really captured it. It's so tart. Zero calories. Nah, that's not right. 130 calories. It is quite a lot of calories, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's just so good. That's so good. It's making me emotional. What a gift Tristan gave me here. It's incredible. What a gift. Wow. And when people give us stuff, we really want to give something back to them. <clears throat> oh, my God. Is Tristan a generous person? Is that, the, is that what this episode is called? <laughs> that's kind of weird. I don't know if that's right, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, what else is going on? Yeah, I mean... Googling the chickens in Yuba made me feel a certain connection to the people living there because we all have questions that there are no answers for. And we all have to live with that. And it's like, it's just normal. And it's it's just nice to know that everyone has that problem. Um, yeah, my my buddy was talking about her failing, her relationship that's in trouble. And, and um I don't know if I know how to fucking talk about this in abstract terms because I can't really talk about it. And it's too private for me to really explain it. And maybe I can talk about it in terms of myself. I 
believe that we all grow up with these images in our head of what a perfect life looks like. And each culture has their own image of what a perfect life looks like. And I think that my image of what a perfect life looks like, that each culture offers a few different images depending on what type of person you are. And the the image that I took away from my culture is when I was 17, I was dating this German girl and her dad was a professor and her mom also worked at the university as a lecturer, but she wasn't and a professor. She wasn't a tenured professor. And they were two intellectuals and they had this big, big house with an attic on the third floor and a and a big garage with an office in it and a big yard. And they just had books everywhere and they just thought about different – they thought about interesting stuff. And whatever I talked about with them, they were interested in my ideas. And they always had people visiting from other countries and places. And it would be like guest lecturers and stuff. And they were just like in some sort of community where they had announced to the world that if you're going to guest lecture at Lund University, you can stay with us. So they always just had guests staying with them. And these were like intellectuals and just smart people from different places in the world. So I looked at that and I felt like that's what I want. That seems like a good life. You have a couple of kids, like you do everything. Like I didn't know that I wanted kids at the time. There was a lot of things about it that seemed stifling. So I didn't work very hard on getting to that point. But the image never left me. Like I was too much in I had too many like mental health issues and too much too much of my life was surrounded was going was about like running away from my own pain and stuff like escapism and stuff and so I never got anywhere meaningful with it but the image was always there in my chest and then I have clearly seen other people, like I've clearly, it's been communicated to me what other people's images are. And like Chinese people have very different images. And most images that the Chinese people carry in their chests are invisible to us because they don't, like, this comes up when, like all my Swedish friends who married Chinese women while we were in China for a long time, it eventually, it sort of comes up. Because you think you agree on stuff and you date for like multiple years and you, you go through ups and downs and you have all this stuff, but then you have kids and then like other new ethical questions come up and just different life decisions have to be made. And the question of like, what is a good life comes up? And to a Chinese person, like, <clears throat> like one interesting image is like Chinese people haven't done the thing that we did in the West at some point about exercise. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but at some point, probably a hundred years ago, we just had some weird public health initiative where the, the Western propaganda machines and all the different European countries just started explaining to people that like this thing called exercise that's super uncomfortable, it's actually good for you. And you have to do it. And if you break a sweat and your face gets all red and you're really uncomfortable and you like get tired, but you keep going, that's called cardio. And that's like important for your heart. And if you have a sit down job, you actually have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to be unhealthy. And all of that, none of that feels true in like 
it feels true to us now because we're so brainwashed by the propaganda and just so happens it is true. But if you hadn't been brainwashed by propaganda and if you were just living your life feeling it out, no part of that would feel true in the way how your body feels. Because like when you exercise, it feels fucking horrible. Everything about it feels terrible. And then Chinese people have these, China has a really, really strong focus on health. For a second there, I thought about how they have a strong focus on health, but they also have Wuhan wet markets that start all the global uh, pandemics. And then the wet markets, though, are not that dissimilar to um, <laughs> a parking lot in Yuba City where city people who really shouldn't be hanging out with and petting and touching and exchanging microbes and diseases with chickens. Like having a bunch of feral chickens in Yuba City is actually kind of what you accuse the Chinese people of doing. And then when you Google it, you you realize that there is actually feral chicken populations all over the place. And like I read on Wikipedia how there's like there's this one turnpike in interstate or whatever under which there is a large feral chicken population in Los Angeles. And no one knows where it's from, but there are all these theories that it's from it was it started because there was an overturned truck full of chickens and the chickens got loose. And it's interesting because like I don't know that a whole lot of different animals could go feral, but chickens apparently in a city where you don't have that many chickens can be feral in cities because we don't have fucking lions in cities. And chickens really just need a little bit of dust. They just walk around and pick up, pick at the dust and then that's enough. And then they can sustain themselves. What a funny little animal. Anyway, what was I talking about? Chinese people have a very strong focus on health. They always did. And because of that, they, they have this TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine is so fucking well fleshed out and it's all wrong. Every single thing in, the, in it is wrong, but they're so committed to it that they're having a really hard time letting go of it. And it's all about how like you have a fucking five different temperatures in your body and five different energies and every single fruit has a different temperature gauging fucking ups or downs your temperature and gives you more fire or less ice or this like really pre-modern concepts of health that make no sense and really like yeah that you shouldn't worry about too much but then you know even a racist clock is right twice a day right so there's like it's peppered throughout with little nuggets that if you take them out of their context they become true like hey it's good to eat broccoli like if you read those books, I'm sure it says, hey, it's good to eat broccoli. And then you can take that out of its context of like, it's good to eat broccoli because it gives you lots of fire in your fucking foot nerve endings that connect to your, you know. <clears throat> the, the point is that, yeah, as if there's a point. Let's not, let's, let's be honest here. There's absolutely no point. But the point is that one of the many, many misunderstandings in traditional Chinese medicine is that there's no fucking room for exercise. And all the Chinese, all the ancient Chinese poetry and all the writing and all the literature, it's very much about like, what is a good life? And they would paint images of like the good man and his good life on the mountainside. And really the good life is a man who like moves slowly all day 
And I remember waking up with like, when I was studying in Beijing and stuff and working in Beijing, I had some Chinese friends and they would do Tai Chi and I'd be like, hey, would you, can I do it with you? And I'd wake up at, at 6 a.m. and go out and it was all damp outside and it's not my hour at all and I felt so weird. But I would show up in a park with them and we'd just stand in front of trees moving our hands in front of, like you, you have, you put your palms up to the tree, but you don't touch the tree. You're like an inch from the tree, but you face the tree and your palms are facing the tree. And then you move your hands up and down without touching the tree, but you're sort of caressing the fucking spectral ghostly outside of the tree. And you do it. And it's so fucking interesting because it feels good. And there is such a poor correlation between what feels true and what feels good and what feels like it's good for our bodies and what's actually good for our bodies. Like anything a doctor tells you is always like, wow, that does not feel true. But, but hey, and like you do that and it just feels like you, it feels like there's energy and it feels like you're doing it and it feels like you're communicating with the tree and the tree is giving you all this health. And then Chinese people are like, yes, you must not do cardio because the tree will put its fire inside of you and heal your heart. And the truth is that the tree won't do anything for your heart. And it's not poetic and it's not fun and it sounds a little bit racist and all these things, but it's still true. You know, all these Grass Valley hippies that have their enormous fucking... So many health ideas. Fucking Stephanie giving me oregano because I have the common cold. And she's like, oregano tea, it really helps for the common cold. It's like, bro, nothing helps for the common cold because it's a viral infection. Just stay hydrated, get enough sleep, and your body fights it out on their own. There's nothing you can do. Maybe hit yourself with some zinc in the early part. Maybe try to not be deficient with anything. Everything else is made up. But the point is that, like, my buddy, you know, people get in these relationships. Oh, God, this would be so much more interesting if I could talk about the actual specific issues of my friends. Maybe I can because we're two hours in and no one's listening. So, like, my buddy is in a relationship with a Chinese guy and he thinks she's overweight. And when she goes to the gym, he, he doesn't like it. Because it's not part of his image. It's not part of his, wow, that word sounds different when you say it like that. He has an image of what is a good life. A good life is that a woman is skinny and she only do, does harmonious, soft, slow motions. And she laughs quietly and she is healthy and she never moves quickly. And her face never gets red and she never gets fat. And if she gets fat, that's like an expression of her her flawed morals. But, you know, a modern understanding of health doesn't square with that. So then it's 2022 and you're married and you're trying to do a relationship and any relationship between cultures where you don't share the same images. Again, I'm like, maybe when two people grow up in the same small town, it's also possible to just like be married for 10 years and then 10 years in, you realize that you have completely different images. But like, the Americans have these other images where like, and I don't even think Americans believe in their own images anymore. 
Like, I believe in my Swedish images way more than the Americans believe in their images. Because, like, the American images are, like, this weird bullshit with, like, housewives and stuff. And it's like they're suffering and they can see everyone suffering. And they're fucking – Americans hate themselves so much more than other people. And, like, big city Americans and small town Americans and and they just – they have just given up on anything they grew up with. And now the only thing people believe in is like, all right, let's just learn how to program. Let's just get a software engineering job at at Amazon. Let's just buy a little bit of crypto. Let's just try to buy a house. And then let's just go wakeboarding. Like anything other than that, anything that used to be true is nonsense. Let's just try to go hiking and have enough money in the bank. Like that's – and that's not like some deeply poetic – that's the kind of like shallow shit that makes you think that makes it feel true that we only use 10% of our brains because it feels like there should be so much more to the human experience. It's just so like, it just feels so true that we only use 10% of our brains because we feel like this shit is so boring and there has to be more to, to life than this. And then we look at like the great leaders of history and we're like, oh yeah. He used 80% of his brain as if that's what it is, you know? But yeah, I mean, the image stuff, the stuff of how we grow up with images and we have images in our heart, it's making me really pessimistic about relationships and me finding someone because it's like, ultimately, I'm saying that I need to find someone who has the same shared values and here values is a stand-in term for image, ideal life image and my my image is like the Swedish image of like, you know, there's a certain time in early summer where it gets warm enough to like maybe not wear shoes and, and you walk around on the grass and there's trees everywhere and you like lean against a tree and you like take a nap and everything is like sun dappled and everything is like an impressionist painting and there's like kids playing and <clears throat> and it's like a big dinner of crayfish it's like the crayfish festival and it's like there's a certain sun dappled quality to the colors of the flowers and it's like a little bit rugged and it's like it's beautiful but it's beautiful in this very rustic way and then it's winter for most of it and it's so much about the sound of what it sounds the sound of stepping in snow the crunching sound of snow is like accompanies everything and the temperatures of light and how you're in a big black dark cold forest and then there's like a tiny yellow warm light emanating from a cottage in the distance and it's like that's the temperature of home that's the color of home so you walk towards it and then like that's what life feels like like you want you exist in that yellow warm light because in that yellow warm light, it's like we keep it warm and you can take your coat off. And it's like what, like the feeling of all of that and the safe feeling of that yellow color. Anyway, it's making me sad to think about it. You know what I also thought about just now? Like, so I was explaining this long story of like, I worked for five days and I got way too tired and I got really sick because I got totally totally overexerted myself and then i come home on the fifth day at midnight and i find the the work phone in my pocket that i should have left at work in my head it i I'd spent about five minutes debating it before deciding to just go back 
it just became clear very quickly that like I'm not going to enjoy my two days off if I don't just go back right now. And then as I'm doing it, I'm also debating like how to communicate about this. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, because I'm such an over communicator. And on my last day of work, when I'm sort of signing off, I do this thing. And I wonder if everyone else thinks it's weird or annoying because no one else does it. Where I like send a bunch of emails to everyone about where we're at with different stuff, just so that I can leave for two days. And well, the logic behind it is that the logic behind it is that I will send a big send off email with eight different bullets on where we're at with eight different things so that you know where we're at. But then other people just leave and I just know where we're at with stuff. And it always feels, my email always feels a little bit self-congratulatory. Like this is what I did this week. But it's like, I don't want it to be experienced like that, but that's how it feels. Like I'm worried that it's perceived like that. But so when I'm going to deliver the phone, I'm thinking about how to word the email where I'm emailing everyone to be like, or not everyone, but like my closest confidants, emailing them to be like, look, just so you know, like I got home at like, 1am and I realized that I had the phone and you guys are already in trouble about not taking the phone seriously enough so I fucking drove all the way back even though it took an hour extra and and then in the end it's like there's nothing I didn't send the email because the email is just fucking sad because the email is just hey just so you know I was like so overexerted and burnt out that I didn't do my job properly and didn't leave the phone at work properly so I came home and then I had to overexert myself even more returning the phone. So then I just came home and just like probably had a fever and was vomiting and was feeling really like my hands were numb and my body couldn't, it, one weird burnout thing that happened was like my body couldn't t- regulate its temperature properly. So for the first 12 hours after getting off work, I was like shivering. So I couldn't even sleep. I get home at like 2 a.m. after returning the phone and I'm just shivering cold. So I turn the AC up really high and then I like drink a bunch of hot water and then I get hot. But then I'm, my body just starts sweating, but I'm still like cold and then I'm too hot. And then I never got to a, my body could never get to a good temperature. And it was just like this sign of like a body that has where all the processes in each cell is off kilter everything's just out of whack like temperature regulation and like having electrolytes so that the nervous system can send signals back and forth like some of those things are just like the basic building blocks of how to get the body to function properly and when you when the temperature thing is like completely wacky it really feels like i don't know i feel i felt worried I feel worried because it's really vague and it's really unclear, like, like there's not a very clear, bright red line that I shouldn't cross with how far I should push myself without causing irreparable harm. And that's what, that's what I find so fascinating about it, how it's like, we, I don't know, you can just work through it, you know? If it's a war, you can always just keep going. If it's life or death, you can always just keep going. And then capitalism has this way of plugging into our brains and taking advantage of that and making some sort of really, you're just a widget on the economy activity and making it seem like life or death. But really, like in this case, it's not, it's not that. It's just that I just, my friends are so, I work with my friends and my friends are so generous towards me that I just want to be generous towards them back because they clearly are more generous than me. I'm not even doing nothing compared to them, you know? 
And I don't know how burnout resilient I am because not everyone is equally burnout resilient, you know? Some people are small people and I have MPC energy. I think I might not be very burnout resilient and I might not ever really do anything very meaningful. I might live an entire life without making a big impression on anything because I don't, I can't do that much. I need nine and a half hours of sleep and then I need to just sit there for a lot of it in silence and just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I, there's not a lot of me, you know? Anyway, let's talk about something else. So um, I had this one friend, she was telling me about how there was something going on with her boob. And we were video calling. And this is not someone I've ever had any kind of romantic relationship with. She's just a friend. And we're very close friends, though. But so there was a problem with her boob. And then they had a little bit of um, a tissue sample taking out, taken out. And then they decided that it wasn't bad what's going on in her boob because there was a little bit of an abnormality growing inside of her boob. But then it wasn't growing and it wasn't bad. But she had this scar. And then she starts taking her boob out. And she's like, I'm going to show you. And then she's like, is this too much? Is this too much that I'm showing you my boob? And I'm like, no, it's, you can show me your boob. And then she showed me her boob. And then it's like, there's only a small scar. There's something so interesting there to me. Because it's like, I think that there's something about when our bodies change and we're not in control, where we instinctively, we want to heal, not just physically, but we want to heal mentally. And one part of healing mentally is to not create a bunch of mental blockage around it and mental fear. And it becomes really important to show people. Cause like I, it made me think of how many times I've seen fucked up. People have shown me their fucked up body parts and how many fucked up boobs I've seen. For some reason, I've dated like multiple women that had breast reduction surgeries. And like my mom had breast cancer and my mom sent me so many pictures when she had a breast removed and then reconstructed. Like, it was so many procedures and she sent me so many pictures of each procedure. And I don't know that I ever said anything great when she sent me those pictures. Like I probably should have been like, oh, that looks fine. Like that's going to look great. And then when her boob is reconstructed, I am so like, I am such on with this stuff. I'm such a conservative. I'm just all ick. You know, I'm icked out by everything. So it's like the idea that I'm going to tell my mom that her boob looks hot. <laughs> it's a tall order, bro, but that's maybe what she needs. But it's like when our bodies change and when we have problems and when we're trying to go on, we have this desire to show our bodies so that people can, so that it doesn't become a big thing. It becomes a bigger thing if we hide them because then we think about it too much. And I have some issues and I'm hiding it from the world and it's making it so I have nightmares about people finding out, you know? And I think I'm doing everything wrong. And some people show all their issues. She showed me her boob. And then I, it made me think of all the times people have showed me their fucked up body parts when my buddy showed me her boob a few days ago. And it made, and I started talking about how my mom showed me her fucked up boob when, and I realized as I was saying it, like, oh, it's sounding like I'm saying that your boob looks really fucked up. And then I've been wanting to tell her, like, hey, just so you know, I thought your boob was hot. Because I can tell her that her boob is hot because she's my friend. And maybe I should marry her at the end of it all, you know? When the sun sets on all of this, 
Maybe I should marry that girl, you know? Just some female friend that I never had any romantic relationship with. Maybe one of those is who I should end up with at the very end. But but um, I've been thinking about it for days and I haven't figured out a way how to word it. How do I tell her that, how do I apologize for me, my response when she shows me her, her fucked up boob being, oh, I remember when my mom showed me her fucked up boob. Oh God, <laughs> I'm going to do it though. I'm going to be like, hey, I just want you to know that that boob, first of all, that's a huge boob you got there. It's massive. And big boobs are polarizing. But, <laughs> okay, uh, let's take that draft and crumple it up and throw it in the trash. Okay, so how do I apologize? I say, okay, so you showed me your boob. and First of all, it's a big boob, and that's a good boob. And the scar looks really small. And I just want you to know that I started talking about my mom because I got a little bit nervous because I'm in love with you and I, I hope to marry you at the end of it all. Okay, so let's take that draft and just crumple it up and throw it in the trash. Okay, so, hey, I just wanted to say that, like, when you showed me your boob, I didn't mean for it to sound like I thought your boob was gross looking because I immediately started talking about how my mom's boob was gross looking this one time. It's just what I thought of. Because it was like a surprising boob show. That was the connection, not the grossness. Your boob doesn't look gross at all. That's just a small scar around your nipple. And like, you look like you got some mighty fine knockers on you, lady. Okay, let's just delete that last part, but keep the rest of this apology. Yeah, this is, your breasts look great. Your breasts, your breasts look your breasts is like you're I think you're forty years old and your breasts is they they still look pillowy and <laughs> Oh anyway, should this episode be over maybe? Have we had enough of this? Oh god. I feel so bad about everything. I have so much Oh god I think we have to call it there. I don't. I think I have to just... It's very cold in here and I have to turn the AC on. I love you guys and thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs>